We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Support for this podcast comes from U.S. Bank. U.S. Bank wants to know how you reward yourself because they have cards that make every day more rewarding. Are you a points order, cashback guru, low intro APR lover? With U.S. Bank, it's up to you because they have the cards to fit your lifestyle. So earn more whether you're shopping at a gas station or grocery store, even while planning a staycation. Learn more at usbank.com slash credit card. U.S. Bank credit cards are issued by U.S. Bank National Association N.D. Some restrictions may apply. Member FDIC. They're going to kill the love of my life. Daisy! If I don't go back to what I was doing. This Friday. Our line of work is quite brutal and quite ruthless. How far would you go for love? You steal truck, bring it to me. Then you make your money. Is it dangerous? Of course it's dangerous! Nicholas Holt, Felicity Jones, with Ben Kingsley and Anthony Hopkins. All this trouble, all this pain for love. Collide, in theaters Friday. Rated PG-13, may be inappropriate for children under 13. Yeah, I was on mute. Sorry about that. You guys just missed gold about Jack Rodwell. Ah, because... yeah. <laughs> this is the Fantasy Soccer Podcast, brought to you by Rotowire.com, your premier source for fantasy sports. For news, rankings, projections, DFS lineup optimizers, and more, Head over to rotowire.com slash soccer. And now, here are your hosts, Mike Gottlieb and Andrew Laird. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of the Rotowire Fantasy Soccer Podcast. It's an extra special uh, episode. Uh, I am your host, Mike Gottlieb, and uh, it's a special podcast because I actually asked for some prep work for this podcast. And uh, my usual host, Andrew Laird, your one-word response was? No. 
And so I decided to make this an extra special podcast and add a second host who did do some <laughs> who did do some preparatory stuff, uh, preparatory work for the podcast. Uh, we are all just JDs to his, his Esquire. It's Dr. John Wallen Esquire, everybody. So everyone prepare to get a lot smarter. And we are going to talk about uh, we are going to be ta- focusing on the deadline day and how it affects season long formats, especially in Taga. So welcome, John. And let's get right to it. Uh, John, what was your just overall reaction to deadline day? It was a very busy one. Um, Reeling from all the Jack Wilshire news, um, (laughs) loving uh, people going back and and trolling his Twitter account with the what's a Bournemouth tweet. Uh, I think maybe maybe the highlight of the day. A little bit of disappointment that Liverpool did absolutely nothing, including failing to ship out Mamadou Saku on uh, any kind of loan and have relegated him to being, what, their seventh uh, or eighth central defender. But, uh, yeah, otherwise, interesting day. I'm really looking forward to getting into it with you guys. So uh, my favorite picture of Mamadou Sako is when he has a set of Beats headphones on and underneath one of the ear cups is his cell phone. And he's talking on his cell phone with the headphones on, but he, so his headphones apparently don't have a microphone, so he just attaches his phone underneath. I'll, I'll, tweet, I'll tweet it out. I'll tweet it out on my Twitter page. It's one of my favorite photos ever because it basically means he bought the wrong headphones. Uh, <laughs> but I think that's kind of a nice, uh, a nice encapsulation of his career at Liverpool. Just kind of always doing the wrong thing, except one time he he scored a nice headed goal at the right time. But that's about it. Very much at the right and time, and costing a lot of money to do it. Yes. <laughs> just like those Beats headphones. Um, all right. Uh, Andrew, um, so since you did not prepare for this podcast, of course I'm going to start with you. Um, what was the one thing that you will remember from this deadline day in terms of fantasy values? Well, the, I think as soon as Wilfred Boney uh, moved and kind of uh, – that was one of the early ones of the day. So it was I was kind of hoping it was that was going to be the beginning of like a number of like big moves – and I'm not sure they got much bigger, uh, and that's not because he's like such a tremendous player. I mean, I think he is very good, and and the fit at Stoke I think works. But um, I don't know. I think the big we got used to big names moving because we saw some rather big ones this summer. Uh, but it turned out that everybody was just doing their important business earlier than usual. Yeah, and that that's the Jose Mourinho school of. Uh, transfer of transfer window. He did all of his work very early, and he actually just came out and said today that he's going to top the Pogba offer with his Griezmann offer next summer. So um, let's look forward to that. Uh, but actually, before we get to the deadline day moves, um, I partly want to gloat about my sniping the waiver wire last Wednesday, right before deadline day, getting all the people I wanted in the Taga Premier League league, uh, getting Simone Zaza. Uh, Nasser Chadley and Sofian Buffal off waivers with no con- with no contestation because I don't think anyone knew that that was actually happening. Do you want um, do you want to gloat about why you had the number one waiver priority, or how about that you had three players worthy of being dropped? Uh, yes, I do want to gloat about all of those things. <laughs> okay, because you're because you're currently rocking an O O in three zero points, twelfth out of twelve place standing in that same Taga league. Well, the first two losses I scored ninety points and lost. So that's a little unlucky. The third week I scored 40 points and deserved every bit of ridicule I got. My gosh, and, I didn't even know you were in last. Oh, Mike. Mike. Dude, I, so, so actually, you know what, John? If you score 90 points and lose, would you consider that unlucky? 
Yeah, that's it's pretty unlucky. We always say when we're talking to people in ten team Taco leagues, and, and of course our expert leagues are twelve team. But you know, you want to target a, a starting eleven that's going to get you ten points per position. Uh, and if you can do that, you should probably go undefeated. That's putting up hundred and ten points. So yeah, in that in that eighty five to ninety seven point range, um, you you should be better than a coin flip to win every week. Yeah, so I mean, you know that that stuff the forty points doesn't turn around. But like, yeah, if I keep scoring ninety points every week. You know, my luck will turn around. Um, and being anchored by Tadej, Pogba, and Sané uh, – sorry, and Sadio Mane, I should be okay, uh, you know, going forward. But <sighs> just a, a rash of people not starting la- uh, on game week three. But anyway, uh, we will – we can discuss – we can discuss the actual uh, league in a little bit. But let's start – let's start getting to the deadline day. I did just want you guys to, you know, have a chance to – you know, make fun of my last place while I gloat about you know, my, <laughs> me, me, get, me getting Simone Zaza. So, uh, you know, I just like I like people who do Gognum style right before they miss a penalty kick. <laughs> so um, either way, let's go to. Uh, so I asked. Uh, so, of course, Andrew did not prepare. So he's just going to do the pot shots at the person who did prepare his two lists of five that we're going to go through today. So, John, uh, I first asked for a list of five. Your your most fantasy impactful five transfer moves from deadline day sure um these are all either deadline day or, or the hours before deadline day being reported so uh, number one i got to agree with andrew i think the wilfred bonnie move is uh bonnie move was absolutely critical for his fantasy value obviously just anchored to the back of the bench at manchester city this is something that had been expected um all summer long in uh, both of the um both of the 12 team leagues that I play in, I drafted Boney. I so I had him sitting there at the end of my bench, earning me no points. And now having him come in um, to Stoke, where he should be um, the undisputed starting striker, I think is going to do wonderful things for his value. It'd be curious to see if he plays straight away or if he needs a week or two. But I mean, this is a player that we last saw scoring nine goals in just uh, over 1300 minutes for Swansea before he left in, in the January transfer window for City a couple years back. Uh, I think just going to be phenomenal value there. Uh, another player, uh, other end of the pitch, David Luiz coming back to Chelsea uh, from uh, PSG. I think it, those are probably the two most impactful moves. Um, I don't know how much you want me to go into each one right at the top, Mike, or if you kind of want me to run my list. But I, I think the two of them sort of form a tier at the top of all the moves that happened uh, in, the, in the last day or two around deadline day. So yeah, let, let, let's stop at the tier. We'll do it by tiers then. So you know, with those two, first of all, uh, you also sent a message out in the league saying that you want to try to work out some trades. Uh or you're going to be sending out some trades, and you have two probably willing partners to actually try to trade. So if you want to try to offer some trades right <laughs> on the podcast, we can we can try we can try and make this work here. But uh, uh, I don't know if you like Sadio Mane, but I have a, a, a decently sized midfield, and uh, I wouldn't mind getting a Wilfred Boney. You know, maybe maybe try working out a package with those two with those with those two at the core of it at least. But we'll talk about that further in the podcast as we go along. But uh, but Wilfred Boney, I do agree. I believe he's going to be the most impactful in terms of especially at a shallow position in forward, um, adding another good option is always a good thing for both season long and for daily leagues. I think he's going to be priced accordingly in daily leagues. Um, so Andrew, do you agree that Wilford Boney, he gets, he, he gains the most fantasy value out of the moves that have been made? I think so. Uh, we have to look at some of the guys who have come into the premier league and we, 
kind of always have to temper expectations because it's just not an easy league to transfer into, um, regardless of fitness. You know, people are, have been playing for a few weeks, but uh, I think that's what makes me hesitate a little bit on a guy like uh, Islam Salami um, because, you know, playing in Portugal is much different than playing in the Premier League. It's a brand new club. Uh, they're basically Leicester's basically going to have to play a new style because they just don't have somebody of his caliber next to Jamie Vardy. And so just the time that it'll take them, I, I think he was the one that may have, some people may consider in that top tier as well. But um, we really think David Luiz deserves this top tier. So my thought on David Luiz was, do you, so my question to you, uh, John, would be, do you think he's actually going to play center back or do you think he's going to play in midfield next to Conte so that he can have the liberty to go forward whenever he wants? Yeah, I think there's a very good chance that he ends up playing, uh, splitting some time between being a defender and being a defensive midfielder. Now, you know, there is a there's obviously a surfeit of midfield options um, at Antonio Conte's disposal at Chelsea, and particularly when you see the resurgence of um, you know Eden Hazard and, and Oscar playing with passion and looking like they care about the results of matches. They're I mean they're practically unstoppable. Bringing back Willian into that mix, um, they certainly don't need you know, to play any more attacking options there. So they do have the benefit of being able to pair in a second defensive midfielder with, uh, with Conte and whether that's going to be like Fabregas actually getting some playing time or whether that's going to be David Luiz stepping up or, um, you know, any of the other options. I, I don't think it matters because whether or not you tell David Luiz, he's your center back, he's going to move up the pitch and he's going to get value as though he were a defensive midfielder um, with the benefit, in, you know, particularly in Taga's scoring system of having a lot more clearances, um, going up to contest more aerial duels, having headers won um, and obviously winning tackles. And, you know, as many times as we're going to watch, you know, the gifts of, Luis Suarez putting the ball through uh, David Luiz's legs and and going on to score or you know see the reaction shots to Germany seven Brazil one I mean they're not going to be playing him every week you know he's going to be playing against Abel Hernandez at Hull or you know I mean it's just, it's just not the same level of, of competition. Not, um, wait what? <laughs> yeah this is this is remarkable but Uruguay's uh, Abel Hernandez is not Uruguay's uh, Luis Suarez yeah. <laughs> so. <laughs> Uh, but uh, it's, you know, it's to some degree, it's, it's the opportunity to make those mistakes that leads to value. You know, we say that all the time. You, you kind of want solid central defenders on teams that are going to um, give the ball up a little bit. That they're you know, going to make those change, uh, make those um, opportunities. I think Chelsea's going to hold possession so much that Luis's value would go down if he weren't going to be pushing up the field. Um, but, you know, David Luiz is David Luiz, and, and I think that's what he does. My favorite bit about the Luis thing was somebody had tweeted out that Chelsea fans haven't been this excited about David Luiz since they sold him to PSG. That's correct. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, if you think about it, I mean, they, they bought him back for less and they used the original money to fund other players. He's almost like the Sam Bradford of the transfer window. Like, no, uh, he's going to be a really expensive um, player with flaws. You know, <laughs> like he's uh, he. No one, no one really is excited for what he does at his position, but he's still worth a lot of money, and a lot of different teams pay him lots of money. Yeah, I think this whole like it's great business for Chelsea propaganda that's going around. Like they basically sold him at his peak, and they're buying him back for less at and getting less. Like I'm not sure 
<clears throat> like that's how business works. Like you don't get to, they're not buying back the same player they had two years ago. I mean, he's not nearly as good as he was back then. And frankly, everybody was very happy to see him go. Yeah. So, so John, uh, basically what's been happening over the past week is I've been selling hope like the NFL draft does, you know, saying, <laughs> Hey, this is going to be good. This is going to be good. And Andrew just comes down with the hammer and just kind of squashes any kind of positivity. So did he kind of uh, temper, temper your positivity on David Luiz? No. Okay. So David Luiz last season, 2015, 16, playing for PSG in Liga. He makes 25 appearances. He plays 2,088 minutes. He makes 60 interceptions. That's a hundred interception pace over, a, you know, over a full season. That's that's a hundred points. That's a very good number for a player who is supposed to be playing in the center of your defense. Um, to the same point, it, he makes 75 clearances. That's you know that pace of 125 clearances. You know, going into looking at his tackling numbers, yeah, it's David Luiz. So he only wins 29 of his 44 tackles, but still, that is a uh, as a 40. 40 tackles, one pace. So just those three stats, you're looking at a player, assume that he's going to get some clean sheet points, assume he's going to be rated a, a defender and, and get the additional uh, benefit of those points being worth a little bit more. And you're looking at a player that at his base is a 400-point player you know, in, in the center of defense, and there just aren't that many of those. I, I think the, the stat translation from League Un applies more for a player like Ibrahimovic than it does for Luis that PSG were just so dominant and Chelsea don't have that luxury. I mean, they're, they're obviously still very good, but the PSG were just so far ahead of everybody else that I think getting, st you know, peripheral stats, it was just easier. And I think he'll struggle to get to, to keep any sort of pace like that. But I, I, Mike, I want to feel, make you feel a little bit better because I actually am very high on Marcos Alonso. I was just about to say, since like, we're talking about Chelsea defenders that have been transferred in, um, you know, when you, uh, I, I, I made the joke with you earlier, Andrew, uh, just as like a message saying, uh, Marcus Alonso's agent must own who scored because when you look at his who scored paid, it's like <laughs> he's good at aerial duels, tackles, uh, indirect free kicks, uh, free kicks, yeah. uh, can score goals, likes to do layoffs, weaknesses, none. Right. It was like <laughs> so, a longer list than Pogba. And I was just like, wait a minute, what? <laughs> So and so the question back to you, John, is because he wasn't even on your I don't even think he was on your honorable mentions list. Um, why no love for Marcus Alonso? Do you not think he's going to play every week? Um, I just don't know enough about Alonso to be able to jump into him that way. I haven't seen very much of him um, coming out of Fiorentina. Um you're just tangentially looking at his numbers the way that we all do whenever we're trying to uh, make these determinations. You know, he had three goals and four assists last season in just under 2,400 minutes played. And I don't see any way that that's going to translate um, to the Premier League, uh, to your point of, about, you know, stat translation. Uh, he may play every week. If he does, I will be dead wrong. Um, but given the idea that Chelsea and particularly Conti's Chelsea in this climate is going to be looking to push for a trophy on four fronts, um, three fronts. Well, you should say three fronts um, that you know, there may be some rotation risk. There may also just be the fact that he doesn't settle very well. Um, I do think he's going to have to come in and have a different style of play, be used to a different level of uh, of pace and, and physicality uh, playing on the wing in the Premier League, the way that we've seen um most managers switch over to playing five in the midfield, attacking the flanks, um, and, and it'll be it'll be interesting. But the reality is, you know, it's just it's one of those players I'm too ignorant on to be willing to stake 
very much upon. And at the end of the day, if um, you know if he's getting 90 minutes every week and he's living up to his reported potential, it's just one I'll be wrong on. And I'm just going to throw just a little bit of I, – I mean I like Marcus Alonso's game. but I, So, Andrew, a nice role reversal. Let me throw some cold water on this a little bit. Um, it's, it's hard to project what any Chelsea defender's value is going to be going forward because what I believe these two moves signify is the potential switch in systems. Conte now has options for – Moving to three at the back, as Marcus Alonso has played as the left center back in a three in a back three system, he's played as a wing back. He can play as a left back in a in a back four, and that kind of change in system that that may affect a lot of people's roles. So, just something also to think about with Chelsea going forward, because with these moves, they may signify a change in style of play, a change in formation. So, uh, you know, we, we, you know, just just hearing that, you know. Potentially, John, does that kind of also temper what you may feel about David Luiz? Let's let's say if they decide to go with the back three. Yeah, I, and I know that that's been that's been mooted by a lot of folks, but I'm I'm not seeing it. You know, through three matches, they've played 270 minutes of Terry Cahill, Ivanovic, and Cesar Azpilicueta. They, they've gone on the pitch. They've played a flat four to the extent that those wingbacks, you know, in Ivanovic and Espilicueta do push up the field a bit. But I, I'm not seeing why Conte would switch away from that. You know, to my earlier point, I think he has more than enough attacking talent in terms of um, in terms of his midfield that he can he can still run a quote unquote flat four back with David Luiz as one of those two center backs, understanding that he will be leaving it to the Brazilian to make the determination of when he should be pushing up and playing more alongside Conte and when he should be falling back and playing more, um, you know, uh, between the wingbacks. And so if Alonso's there to challenge either Ivanovic or, or his Piliqueta, um, I, again, I think it's it's certainly a possibility that he moves to the, the that 3-5-2 with the two wingbacks, but I'm not seeing it in the early, you know, in the early version of Chelsea. And so, Andrew, last question because uh, you know I don't want to make this a whole Chelsea podcast. Uh, do you think this is the last we see of Gary Cahill for a while, or or John Terry possibly? I, I was actually going to ask you that. You're the Chelsea guy. I wasn't sure who Louise would would be replacing um, because I think it is one of those guys. I think the other uh, reason that they haven't played the back three yet is that they just don't have three capable center backs. Like I think. Ivanovic is capable of playing there if he knows he's playing as part of two as opposed to three. Like, you know, it obviously takes some time to <clears throat> to get used to playing three in the back. And I think the Louise move actually allows them to do that now. And when Zuma comes back, like, that's why I think they, they haven't played three at the back yet. Not necessarily that Conte thinks four is the right, the right way to go. But, yeah. I mean, I would... Cahill and Terry are equally replaceable. So <laughs> I don't think it even matters who they who they take yeah. out. I think Chelsea's best 11 as currently constituted without Zuma um, would have David Luiz in the midfield, Marcus Alonso at left back, uh, Azpilicueta at right back, and then potentially even Ivanovic as a center back, and then replacing Gary Cahill. So it would be Ivanovic and Terry mm-hmm. in the middle as the, as the central back pairing. Um, that That being said, when I think those things, it never happens. So... <laughs> Uh, I think we need to get used to just a real swim, simple swap of just, you know, potentially David Luiz for uh, Gary Cahill in the short term. And then Marcus Alonso will get eased into Premier League, uh, into Premier League action. And then we can go from there and see what happens. But 
Uh, I think the best 11, you know, without Zuma is the way I described before with Louise in the midfield and Alonzo at left back. And then there's then there's options for rotations and for tactical shifts in game if they need to. So that's kind of the way that I see that shaping up. But let's get to the next tier in uh, John Wallen's list here. So the next two are uh, Islam Salami and uh, Jeff Hendrick, the uh, the midfielder transferred into Burnley. You know, they're both just such – they come with such high pedigree playing in what is ultimately you know, a, a second-tier, first-tier league. Um, and either of them could come in and be exceptional. Uh, I'm tempering Salami a little bit because, as Andrew noted earlier, you know, Leicester don't really play – uh, a 4-4-2 very frequently. They've also now broken their transfer record twice this window, bringing in Ahmed Musa first um, in the exact same position. So with Musa Salami and Vardy, I'm not sure what kind of rotation risk there may be. Obviously, they're playing a Champions League for the first time ever. There's going to be some pressure to make it out of what is what looks to be on its face, at least a favorable group draw. Um, and, and Leicester haven't looked world beaters you know, in the first three matches. So Again, that's one where I'm happy to use my waiver. Um, I would much prefer to get uh, Wilfred Bonney if I'm targeting a forward. But if I end up with Salami, I, I'd be happy with that. Yeah, and so, and so, Andrew, when you when you hear about Salami, I, I, I only hear Salami as Me in too. like the, the the meat. Yeah. So, <laughs> so, uh, I I keep pausing to say like to think like did I say Salami or. It plays into our Hungary games way too well. Way too well, yeah. Um, so, but either way, um, uh, Salami is someone who a lot of people are excited for, and we'll get to this list later. But Ahmed Moose is going to appear on a on a list later of uh, of guys with fantasy values who who were shot. But um, you have to think that Salami is going to play over Musa in the short term, correct? Well. We should also note that Shinji Okazaki has also been playing over Musa for two of three games, I think. So, yeah, I mean, I would assume I would assume so. Uh, I can't imagine this is all preparation for selling Vardy in January. So, yes, I, I think Salami plays plays ahead of Musa once he gets his feet under him. But again, like the the translation of the Premier League from Portugal is is a big one. And so, um like I think at, you're asking for a lot, even if you're thinking of ten goals for the rest of the season. Yeah, yeah, and and going back, going back to John. Now, I was surprised to see Hendrick making this list for you, so I need you to to walk me through this here. Uh, well, I think he becomes the focal point of Burnley's midfield. I, there's not a better. There's not a good reason for bringing him in, uh, particularly paying that price if you don't believe that he can be the focal point of your starting 11. Um, he's 24 years old, um, international. He's, he's quality, um, can play. I mean, effectively, he can play out to the wing, but I, I think he's going to play in the center of that team. Um, I, I mean, I don't, I don't know like where else to go with that. Like, I, he, he did fine oh. for Derby last year in limited minutes. Season before, he was significantly better just in terms of his counting stats. And, you know, they need someone like this to come in and be the stopper, be the – we're always going to keep going back to this comparison, right? But it's in goal of contact. It's you need to find as many players that can break up an opponent's attack as you can when you're struggling to stay in the Premier League. 
And given that Burnley do set up very defensively, Andrew, do you feel that there is, um, you know, basically taking the value of both, if there is any value to be had from Scott Arfield, who you liked before the season, and George Boyd, who I always liked, and uh, even two seasons ago and this season, um, do you see him basically taking those two's values and just putting them straight to the ground? Uh, I think we've seen a little more attacking uh, out of Boyd than than we have out of our field. And um, while a format like Taga, that doesn't, that's not like the end all be all, but I think Boyd still offers a little more upside, um, which I hate to admit since that's your boy. But um, yeah, I think, I think Boyd will be able to kind of weather that storm a little bit. Not plays more outside too. So yeah, they've, I think Boyd is, is going to be fine. He's, he's the only one of the quote-unquote midfielders for Burnley that's played all 270 minutes so far. If you look at the fact that through three matches, Burnley's already given at least a half hour of play to six midfielders, and I don't see there being any reason why um, Hendrick isn't coming in and, and slotting in immediately. Uh, I think you, you know it ends up costing minutes for, you know, um, maybe Dean Marnie um, probably limits Aiden O'Neill and there's no reason why Hendrick can't form a partnership with, with Boyd, Arfield and, and uh, Johan Berg Goodmanson and move forward that way. Um, but again, I mean, this is, it's, it's certainly all speculative until we've seen a match. And one of the things that I, that I wrote to you guys earlier today is, you know, I'm not willing to stake really anything on uh in terms of lost playing time and until I see at least one match and, and probably two, because, um, you know, guys are going to have to come in. They're going to have to adapt. It's the international break, you know, coming back from that, we always see, you know, anomalies in terms of starting 11s and, and in terms of early substitution times. And just because somebody comes in only gets 30 minutes in, in game week four, it's no indication of how they're going to be, you know, for the next 12 to you know 35 weeks. So, so Andrew, are you, uh, we kind of got we kind of get the impression of where uh, where John's going with his strategy for deadline day moves. Are you going to be more aggressive trying to pick up, you know, the guys who you feel are, uh, you know, are, are you going to make more? I, I, you know, I'm going to make a lot of moves no matter what, basically. Yeah. Um, are are, are you going to fall somewhere towards my side or towards where John was going, where you're not going to really try to make any kind of final expectations based off of the short term? Um, there, I mean, there are a few guys that I'll that I'll try to get, but. Um... And this isn't going to sound like I want it to, but I'll I'll say it anyway. Like I don't, at least on the Taga teams that I have, like I don't have eight guys that I feel like I'm ready to replace. And so you kind of have to. I mean, it it sounds very elementary, but like you, you need to make sure the guy you're picking up is better than the guy you're dropping. And I'm just not sure there's a ton on the waiver wire now with these transfers that is much better than more than one or two guys. So yeah, I'll put in one, maybe two waiver uh, requests, but. Um, you know, you're not going to make wholesale changes at this point. I mean, you might, but but I won't. <laughs> I mean, wholesale change. Wow. Okay. I'm so glad I asked this question. You're giving up um, 90 points a game, Mike. You got to do something. I do. I, my fantasy defense has to be better. That's right. That's right. But uh, we, uh, last on last on your list, though, John, was uh, Gio Mercy Mbokani, someone who we are familiar with from last season, uh, playing for Norwich City, but he now moves to Hull. So. Uh, this is a nice transition into the guys whose value is no longer. You don't think is uh, you know, the value is there anymore, but you think he's going to take Diamande's spot? Yeah, I think he takes Diamande's spot. I think um, Abel Hernandez is probably fine. Um, and yeah, at thirty, you know, Makani didn't do 
a whole lot last year with Norwich um, that, again, this is, this is like, it's splitting such hairs to say pick him over, um, you know, over somebody like uh, Nkundu coming into uh, to Tottenham or, or Wilshire's move to Bournemouth in terms of value. But if I'm looking for someone that can score goals, seven goals in just under 1,600 minutes last year for Norwich, yeah, he didn't have any a ton of, of strong peripheral stats, but he's going to come in. He's going to get the minutes, at least in my opinion, to be able to score 10 to 12 goals across this season. And as your fourth forward, as somebody that you're going to play uh, in favorable matchups, or, or maybe when one of your strikers has a, uh, a rotation risk because of uh, midweek cup or, or European um, commitments. Yeah. I, I think he's perfectly fine to slot in and I'm looking, you know, with that, giving him that sort of fifth overall value of people currently on the waiver wire. Really what I'm looking at is the ability for him to pop for 15 to 20 points on the day when I want to start him. And I don't care if he's only getting three points every day that he's sitting on my bench. And so, so Andrew, I mean, forward forward is such you – know, after the top few, you get, you get in pretty dire straits pretty quickly. And, you know, someone like Mbokani – we, we, he, he was losing time to Cameron Jerome, who couldn't score from three <laughs> inches away last season. Um, it's, I mean, Hall of, you got to commend Hall for getting themselves like a backup in each position, basically now in the transfer window. But outside of that, I mean, do you do you feel like there's a lot of noise to be made with uh, Gio Mercy and Bocani? Even like John was saying, even if there's like a few matchups that you like. Yeah, I think. I mean. I- I think he's worth having for those matchups because, um, you know, in Taga, you do get a little bit of a bench, so you're able to play around a little bit. And he's familiar with the Premier League, so that makes kind of the transition uh, a little easier. So, yeah, I think that's right. I, I I have a feeling like the days, if I picked him up, I would the good matchups would come on the same weeks that, you know, Aguero plays Sunderland and Alexis Sanchez plays Hull. <laughs> so, like... <clears throat> You know, it's all it all depends on on the schedule at that point. But I think he's worthy of like a. I'm not sure I would put him a, a top my waiver spot, but if he was there, I, I'd definitely consider him. I mean, you're look. I, we're looking at guys that we were uh, talk about earlier, like Jordan Rhodes. Like he, I would happily replace Jordan Rhodes. With yep, Connors. I've already I've already happily replaced Jordan Rhodes right. with Sophie on Buffal in most leagues. Right. Uh, I, I mean, for me, I'm surprised, and the, I'm, the person who I was surprised that didn't make this list, and Andrew, I'll be going to you next. Um, basically, for me, there was one name, Bruno Martins Indy, who came into Stoke. We're sticking with Stoke here because uh, they they moved Philip Volschild out to make room for Bruno Martins Indy, who is a very Stokey defender. I mean, he's big, he's strong. <laughs> Uh, he'll make he'll, he'll probably cost you some yellow cards, maybe maybe a red card or two, um, but he's going to win aerial duels. He's going to get some tackles. He's going to break up play too. And Stoke aren't going to have the ball forever. And that's uh, and you know uh, you know John when when you hear the name Bruno Martins Indy going to Stoke, um, that, I'm I'm assuming that didn't really fill you with any kind of excitement because it's Stoke. But um, given what I just said, do you see that there's anything there for that? Just for anyone who's thinking about maybe picking him up. Yeah, I think there is, but you know, right now, and again, I'm I'm looking at the waiver wire in 
in our leagues, you know, so these are 12 team, these are deep leagues in terms of the talent of the players playing. I mean, you're both of you guys are playing it and I'm playing it. We, we do this a lot. Uh, we talk about this a lot and all of the managers that are playing with us do the same thing. So, you know, certainly there's a little bit of, um, there's a little bit of industry rivalry. There's a little bit of insider knowledge that goes into these picks um, and, and into who you're willing to roster. And I think that there is still, because, you know, we just came out of our drafts, there's still a, a willingness to hold on to some guys that we believed in in the summer. And I think that's it's the right thing to do. But the reason I'm bringing that up is because there are still defenders that we're sort of finding out about, right? Um, we're determining whether or not James Collins at, at West Ham is going to be the real deal. We're, we're trying to figure out how well Kyle Naughton at Swansea is going to hold his value. Um, you know, we're going to, we're looking to see if, um, you know, Phil Jagielka remains an everyday player for Everton because if he does and he's gotten 270 minutes so far, then Phil Jagielka probably should be added before Bruno Martins Indy, right? And, and in our our 12-team league, um, Damian Delaney, Phil Jagielka, Matthew Lowden, they're all on the waiver wire, as is um, Everton's Mason Holgate. So all of those players, I think, um, make it a, a harder proposition to bring in a defender that I think you can afford no offensive value to. And, you know, you said Bruno Martins Indy is a very stokey defender. Well, he's going to be playing at Stoke where they're just not known for their defenders getting forward. So you have to be willing to, if you're putting in a waiver claim for him, if you're thinking about him as one of your three or four starting defenders, acknowledge that you're going to be getting a, you know, probably what the three of us would term a high floor player. You know, he's going to give you a, a consistent seven to eight points every week, maybe. Uh, but you're probably never going to see a 10 point game from him. And uh, so, Andrew, first, I mean, you know, just just thoughts on uh, Martin's Indy, if you feel like John was right on the money there, which I think he actually I, I think he was not actually was. He, he usually is, um, it, you know, and then furthermore, any any other names that you were surprised that didn't make John's list of five? Uh, in terms of Martin's Indy, it kind of gives them a little bit of rotation. They still have Jeff Cameron there, uh, Ryan Shawcross. I mean, Shawcross seems to be always battling some sort of back injury. So there's that. But yeah, I mean, Stoke center backs, I tend not to give much, uh, much attention to for, for fantasy purposes. I mean, the clean sheets are nice every so often, but yeah, the, uh, like John said, the, the ceiling's just not high enough for me, but, uh, in terms of guys not on the list, um, I was a little surprised Jack Wilshire wasn't there. I mean, like, to be fair, to be fair, he was in the honorable mentions. Yeah, but I mean, uh, is it a playing to like, do you not think he's going to be fit enough? Because I feel like a full season of Wilshire should be enough to get plenty of fantasy love out of Taga. And let me let me phrase it this way for John, because you put Hendrick there, I think, who's this, uh, from what you describe as almost like a similar type player to Jack Wilshire, except Jack Wilshire may be able to score more goals. Um, you know, between those two, is it just a health thing compared to uh, to Jack Wilshire? Yeah, it was it was largely um, an expectation of playing time, but it's also you know Wilshire's coming in, he's saying all the right things, uh, you know that he's going there and, and he's expecting to play and play well and you know, grow as a player. But I mean, this has to be incredibly demoralizing for Jack Wilshire. This is a you know this is not a glamour move. I mean, it, it's it's very much a save his career move and. I don't know Jack Wilshire personally. I can only see what I've seen. Jack Wilshire does not strike me as the guy that's going to go there and pull himself up by the bootstraps and and drive Bournemouth to a mid-table finish and you know reassert himself as a dominant player uh, for you know for England and in the Premier League. And maybe that's an unfair judgment from someone who's you know watching him from however many thousands of miles away I am. 
But if I'm staking any kind of value to that, yeah, he's he's a, a notch below Hendrick, and that's why he didn't make my five. And was he seven? Was he eight? Yeah. Is he good value if he's healthy? Absolutely. But I'm, you know, I'm just not a believer right now. Andrew, how are how are you going to write the Jack Wilshire story? Uh, I think I, I kind of agree that uh, this was not the glamour move. Although apparently he had, you know, a move ready to go to Roma, which. Um, uh, I was reading that basically, you know, Wilshire looks at himself as a very like metropolitan person and Rome is quite the metropolitan city. So choosing to then stay, uh, I kind of looked at it as he was just scared to play in Italy, um, but which, you know, whatever. But <laughs> uh, I think with the right playing time, like I think he could easily be the best fantasy option from from Burnmouth. Like I think he could fill that Matt Ritchie role that we kept talking about that they haven't figured out how to fill yet. And um, Ritchie was a plenty good fantasy option last year. So, if yeah, he stays and healthy. so I tried to look up, you know, like Vermont to, uh, to Burnmouth and Google maps just got confused and it's like, no, we can't, we can't figure this out. Yeah, you can't walk uh, that far. No, no. And, and there was no connecting flights or anything. So I couldn't calculate the miles for you right off the bat. So I apologize. Uh, I apologize, John. But guys, like, like, look at Bournemouth, right? And I mean, this is I'm just really going to be like slating them hard, but like that team is even for fantasy purposes. To Andrew's point, there's not a, a lot there. You know, you do have Adam Smith, Simon Francis, Charlie Daniels, that Steve Cook. That defense is fine, but Andrew Sermon, who you know a few of us were on in the summer, Jordan Ibe, who I know um, Neil Thurman really believed in in the summer. Uh, he's sitting and, there. And, and, yeah, I mean, Jordan Ive, Andrew, if you want him, he's sitting right there on waivers right now. Him and his 14.5 points in 206 minutes. So, you know, even, even let's say, Wilshire goes there and is, let's say, he's phenomenal. What is he? He's, uh, he's, he's Jeff Cameron, but in the midfield, he's, you know, he's a 350-point player. Uh, in, in midfield, that's just, it's not doing it for me. He's a, he's a midfielder five, maybe a midfielder six. Um, until Bournemouth show that they have any kind of midfield cohesion and, and any kind of verve moving forward. Yeah, so Bournemouth have certainly lacked thrust uh, going forward. Uh, there's really not a strong push, which has affected Callum Wilson very negatively. Uh, Joshua King, I'm not sure, is someone who's gonna who's a Premier League player, to be honest. Um, he's shown flashes, but he's not really... I don't think he's the goods, and... Uh, Jack Wilshire might be able to be that source of a of an offensive thrust while also maintaining defensive responsibilities, uh, but I think that's asking a lot of someone who's always injured in Jack Wilshire. Yep, and he made my list as you know as my seventh player, or whatever my honorable mention player. But honestly, you know, as we're looking at at all of the other midfielders, you know, I may want a uh, former Lorient midfielder, current Sunderland midfielder, Didier Ndong ahead of Jack Wilshire. You know, if I'm, if I, if it's a player that I, again, some of that, that ranking for Wilshire is based on upside and knowing that I'm not going to start him every week in fantasy. If I need a midfielder, like if my midfield is, is just decimated and I need a fourth midfielder or a fifth midfielder to start every single week, I'm probably putting a claimant for Didier Ndong over Jack Wilshire this week. Hmm. That's bold. <clears throat> that is bold. Um, and another name that, that I think flew under the radar um, was Adama Traore, the Barcelona product going from Aston Villa to Middlesbrough. 
Uh, I'm not sure if he's going to start right away, but if you're playing the long term, I think he is. He might be the most talented player on the ball that Middlesbrough has today. You know, just when he's on the ball with the ball at his feet, I think he is. I think he has the most talent of anybody at Middlesbrough. Would that be? Would that be putting too much on him? Yes. Yes. Okay. <laughs> Perfect. All right. Good analysis. I mean, that's that's probably also just like really unfair to like uh, Gaston Ramirez, um, even um, even as much as I don't love uh, Alvaro Negredo. Like, I mean, he's perfectly acceptably good with the ball at his feet. I is he gonna I, play I enough se- to get the ball at his feet? So yeah, I mean that's I mean that's the question that I have, and that's like that goes back to what John was saying before that it's hard to hard to predict playing time, you know, just fresh off of tra- of deadline day without seeing anybody, you know, not, not seeing how the rotation's going in, in terms of the lineups every week. Uh, Middlesbrough has something going here, so I'm not sure they're going to rock the boat too much, even though they brought in Traore. But, um, but it's going to be very interesting to find out, in, uh, you know, going forward. And I think that it's going to be an interest, at least an interesting position battle on the wings because Adam Atriori does bring uh, you know, a sense of offense. And I think he's going to be a super sub at first, but if he does well, I think he can crack that Middlesbrough lineup just going sure. forward. Just, some, just a, just a name, just a name to, to look out for. Yeah. I mean, look, it, some of this is, some of this is just, you know, um, fool me twice, three times, five times, whatever it may be. I mean, for, for years, you know, we looked at Jefferson Montero and said like, Oh, explosive winger. Amazing with the ball at his feet. I like, can't wait for him to play. Wilfred Zaha. Oh my God. Amazing player. Explosive, big name, trans- big money transfer. Like I can't wait till he's an every day, you know, and uh, for using an NFL thing an every down back, you know I mean? Wilfred Zaha should be right there in the starting lineup from, from kickoff. And he never is. And if Adama Traore fills that role, you have a 200-point player who burns a vital midfield roster spot for you and isn't as valuable as the guy that he's arguably replacing in Emilio Nsu, who is a player that I, I want because I think this pushes Nsu back into you know playing that wing defender back and, and I think is, is going to be good value uh, for fantasy players moving forward. Uh, so yeah, so let, let, let's transfer over to players who you know caught the negative end of, of deadline day and... Uh, just going, just going through your list really quickly. I just want to do this one, just uh, one name at a time here. We talked about it a little bit before, but uh, Ahmed Musa is he? He, I mean, he's done, right? He's a play. Of course, this is a new kind of got cursing. By the way, I was all on Ahmed Musa at the beginning of the season, and not, he didn't even make it past deadline day until his position was in question. Yeah, Andrew, you want to just hammer uh, dead man walking Ahmed Musa a couple more times because I, I think, you know, pointing out that he was third in that rotation before the arrival of Slimani is, is you know, accurate. Um, I liked Musa as, um, as a late waiver ad when he was there earlier. Uh, I wasn't huge on adding him before, but I liked him a lot in case Vardy got hurt or if, you know, there was a late Vardy transfer. I thought that was great. He's by far the the player whose value is impacted the most um, directly just because he moves so far down and, and he's done nothing in his limited minutes. I mean, arguably Theo Walcott, but at least Theo Walcott's done something with the three matches that he had, you know, before Lucas Perez arrived. Yeah, and yeah, and we also I mean we talked about Diamande as well uh, with uh, Mbokani coming in, who was another player who made your list of value going down because he's probably not going to start anymore. So I just want to skip ahead to. Well, uh, there's one other there's other, one other reason for that though. I mean, it's not just that Mbokani arrives; it's also that Will Keane came in. 
You know, I mean, that's a team that clearly wasn't happy with, with its attacking options and, and brought in not one but two players. And again, I don't think Abel Hernandez is any risk of losing his rotation spot, which means naturally they're going to have to lose minutes for Diamande in order to accommodate everyone else. Yeah, and for for Hull, I mean, part of it also has to be that they just needed more bodies. Like, they, they needed warm bodies at Hull City. They just were playing with 13 healthy players. That's not – they couldn't even do a full complement of substitutions in a given game. Yeah, I think there's some of that <clears throat> for sure. I mean, yeah. how many Hull options are we going to see in starting lineups every week? Two. At least two. Actually, possibly three now. Uh, I, I mean, you, I mean, Curtis Davis has to be someone who has mm-hmm. to uh, at least be on the the, the thought, uh, you know, for starting lineups almost every week. And I mean, Abel Hernandez, as John was saying, he's been playing very well. Uh, he should have he should have multiple goals, but one of his goals wound up being an assist for a five inch assist. And Snodgrass. Yeah, and Snodgrass too. Uh, I mean, Snodgrass. I mean, John, do you think Snodgrass is too? Goal, de- goal and assist dependent. Does he create enough chances for you? Yeah, I think he'll be all right. I mean, just because he's he's the focal point. And honestly, like I, I, at this point, um, I've learned not to go against the hot hand that Neil Thurman is willing to jump on early. And he is all over Robert Snodgrass. Yeah, uh, he his he has such a powerful left foot. Uh, you know, at some point, people will figure it out like a uh, you know like like remember like in pickup basketball days, you just shade. You just shade who I like the person with the strong right hand to his left. You just completely just block off that one side. Uh, I think people will figure out that just makes Snodgrass be on his right foot and he'll be a little less dangerous. But that left foot is something to behold. Uh, but let's go back to your list of, of value droppers. Predictably, Theo Walcott was going to drop down in value once Ozil and Alexi Sanchez really got going, and that didn't take very long. Um, but Theo Walcott made your list as well, I'm assuming because of uh, Lucas Perez as well. Yeah, Lucas Perez coming in. Uh, Olivier Giroud is back and healthy. Uh, Santi Cazorla has done, you know, phenomenally well in his 200 plus minutes. You know, the uh, Arsenal are spoilt for riches, and Theo Walcott hasn't shown um, his ability to retain consistent playing time since he was 23, 24 years old. So, you know, I mean, I'm not advocating dropping him outright to the extent that you have the roster spot and you can start him when Arsene Wenger starts him. I think Theo's still great value. Um, it's probably not a secret that like I'm I'm not an Arsenal supporter, but I love Theo Walcott. Like you know I'm I'm a big fan of most of the guys that come up through Southampton and move on to, to other things. And um, you know, Walcott's been so good for so long um, and not really respected because he doesn't get the playing time or you know he's he's perceived as not shining on the big stage. And while there may be some anecdotal truth to that, I mean the man's clearly a brilliant footballer when he's on his game. And Andrew, I'm assuming you have no no objection to this analysis, even though you are an Arsenal, Arsenal supporter. <laughs> yeah, I think uh, you could have dropped him regardless of the Lucas Perez move as soon as Giroud came back. So, um, you know, he's he's a fine play when he starts, but the starts are so are going to be so unreliable that holding on to him week to week uh, just makes it tough to do because you're ultimately handcuffing yourself from being able to do do more you know, possibly have a guy who will start every week. Okay, real quick, Andrew. I mean, you probably know this, but how old is Theo Walcott? He's still pretty young, isn't he? 26? Yeah, he's 27. Seven, yeah. And, like, yeah. And, like, we'll play this almost this entire season at age 27. Yeah. Like, some of the guys that we've been touting and that have been doing phenomenally well, I mean, like, 
Islam um, Slamani coming in, I think, is 29. Uh, Nolito is 29. I mean, the, these are guys that, you know, David Luis is 29. You know, we're like, oh, these are guys, they're great. They're going to slot right in. They're going to get playing time. You know, I mean, the, maybe the tail end of their careers, you know, in terms of the peak, but like doing great. And it's like, yeah, Theo Walcott, you know, he's he's been good since 2006. So he's probably like 40, but he's 27. I mean, he's he's just he's a phenomenal footballer. I hope he gets a, a chance somewhere. I was very disappointed to see, I was very disappointed to see he didn't leave Arsenal. I was very disappointed to see that Juan Mata didn't leave Manchester United oh. because I think either of those two players, had they moved to, you know, I mean, if Walcott moving back to Southampton or you know moving to Swansea, you know, I, I think immediately becomes just an incredibly valuable player. I mean, Theo Walcott at Swansea, I think probably scores nine goals or ten goals, assists eight or nine goals, and, and would have been a fantasy darling. I'm just trying to picture Theo Walcott going to Swansea. Yeah. Just... Jack... Joe Hart plays for Torino. <laughs> <laughs> I, you, know, that's been, that, you know, that's been kind of the, the theme here, like disappointing English players going to really further disappointing destinations for themselves as, as a career path. Um, just a very interesting, uh, interesting parallel there. But uh, let, let's get to the final two names here. I mean, you talked a little bit about Emiliano and Sue, and I'm sure that you know you think him playing out of position. You said there might be some value, but until he's classified as an actual defender, you think his value goes down? Yeah, I do. I think there's um, you know a little bit of competition um, there. They brought in Antonio. Uh, Antonio Barragan as well. Colm Chambers is there. George Friend, Daniel Ayala, Ben Gibson. I mean, there's plenty of defenders to go around at Boro. That's a team that was incredibly good um, at defending last season. That was their hallmark as they came up from the championship. And it's one of the reasons that I'm also not huge on Adama Traore because, you know, I don't think that there's any reason for Nsue to lose his position. He's played 263 minutes. Um, you know, he's playing primarily uh, a defensive role. He's, he's made six interceptions. He has 13 clearances. He's won six aerial duels. Um, all of those, with the exception of with the exception of the interceptions, those are all good enough to lead Boro right now. Um, Adam Forshaw does have 10 interceptions, so he's he's one place ahead of Insue. Um, but Insue's class as a midfielder, which I, I think was probably correct coming into the season, and to the extent that he's in a little bit of limbo in terms of playing time and rotation, uh, risk at rotation, not necessarily to lose minutes, but maybe to be moved uh, up and down uh, the lineup a little bit. I'm, I'm less sold. I actually tweeted that, you know, the last time I watched the map, the play that the only thing that I was taking away from that match, which was a dire affair was that I wanted to add into it in my team. And then uh, four days later, they go out and added on and really, uh, you know, kind of killed Nsue's uh, sleeper value. It was a dire affair and not not a uh, Eric Dyer affair. <laughs> so it do- doubly bad. But, uh, you know, just to round off your list here, I mean, you were talking about Sunderland midfielders as or at least the no name Sunderland midfielders, because you basically listed almost every single one. As you said, every Sunderland midfielder not named uh, Yanazai, Kazri or Indong. And who, who else is there? <laughs> you know what I mean? Linden Gooch. So you think Lyndon Gooch, the American, is going to lose his value now? Just a little crowded, that's all. That wasn't my list, though. <laughs> we, we, we know what your list was. It was two <laughs> letters. It was N and O. Yeah. Uh, but, no, I mean, I mean, John, you know, for your, for, for your Sunderland midfielders, 
um, you know, what, 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 what do you see at Sunderland that's going to really greatly affect their value? Mark, mark this time, 58 minutes and 30 (laughs) seconds. I have left John Wallen speechless or on mute or caused him to hang up out of frustration. (laughs) Yeah, I was on mute. Sorry about that. You guys just missed gold about Jack Rodwell. (laughs) (laughs) You know, if, if, if you, if ever I was going to be muted, it's when I was discussing the relative value of Steve Pinar to other midfielders. Um, No, listen, I just, the, the Sunderland midfield, is garbage for fantasy purposes. And I think that there's going to be a lot of players that get rotated through that, you know, uh, players. And, and this is, this is a warning for the entire season. You know, we're going to post, um, we're going to post lineups. You guys are going to post lineups. Um, Rotowire's notes are the notes that talk is using this season. So we're going to be seeing all sorts of updates about um, players coming and going from the Sunderland midfield. And the only three midfielders I want there, the only three are Didier and Dong, um, Adnan Yanazai and Wabi Kazri. That's it. And Kazri Those are the only played. three. And Kazri, yeah. Yeah, I was about to say, and Kazri hasn't played much. 25 minutes, but I'm not dropping him yet. And then this goes back to the earlier point of these are guys that we believed in. Kazri was, I think, the second most valuable um, January signing uh, for fantasy purposes last season. On a points per minute basis, he was one of the 25, just inside the top 25 for midfielders overall. Um, and I'm not willing to give up on him. But, too, yeah, you guys are absolutely right. I mean, he's got 25 minutes. He has one successful take on, one interception, one dispossession. I mean, you know, he's he's barely touched the ball. And Andrew and I have had this debate last week. Do you think that Adnan Yadazai has a ton of value at, at Sunderland? Yeah, I absolutely do. Um, Yanazai was um, the number one rated waiver uh, pickup, sleeper pickup by John Montgomery, who writes a weekly column uh, at blog.playtaga.com. Um, John's, uh, I think, done an, an excellent job there. I don't want to take credit for any uh, any of the um, Adnan Yanazai love because I, I'm buying wholly into um, John Montgomery's uh, analysis there. I think I think he did a phenomenal job. And I'll actually, after we wrap this up, I'll tweet that article out so people can go there and, and check it all out. Yeah, I, I I was I was basically saying that the only thing I did I learned about Adnan Yadazai from his appearance at uh, for as in his appearances for Sunderland is that he can grow facial hair, and that's really it. And that he got a little he's, taller. He's still like it. seventeen, dude. I mean, you know, <laughs> he's not. Dude, he's got he's got his whole career ahead of him, which is remarkable when you consider what kind of career he's already had. Yeah, uh, I mean, I I'm I'm I mean, I'm gonna I'll be the contrarian voice in saying that I just don't see it. I I for 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 Sunderland and Adnan Yadazai's sake, I I'm hope I'm wrong, but I just don't see it yet. And it's, and I didn't see much when he was under David Moyes the first time at Manchester United. But like you said, he is very young. It may just it, it's gonna take time. But um, especially as a midfield spot, which are so precious, I'm not sure if I have the patience a, 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 in the midfield at least. Well, let's look at it this way real quick, and this will just be my last point on on young Adnan. He has 28 fantasy points right now, which is basically good for a little over nine points a game. Um, you know, he's only played 206 minutes. He does not have a goal or an assist. So these are really his baseline stats. I mean, these he's a very high floor player, in my opinion. Uh, I think he's going to be selfish. I think there's not going to be anybody to correct that kind of behavior. I think he's going to keep the ball. He's going to try and beat men off the dribble as much as possible. He's going to try and make um, you know inc- incisive passes in the final third. And those things all score big fantasy points. Yeah, uh, I mean, he's a little bit of a black hole. He just when the when the ball goes in, it doesn't come back out. So. 
Um, he's like Carmelo in that regard. It just doesn't. Ha- it, it just slows the game down. But you know, we'll we'll see what happens. Uh, this is not an Adnan Yadizai podcast. Uh, so let's. There's one other name at Sunderland that we kind of talked about before the podcast, and that was Victor Anichibi. And you pointed out, is he the second best striker at Sunderland? Uh, so Andrew, let's let's go to you first for this one. Ugh. I mean, you would happily take like <laughs> Fabio Barina on a broken ankle before you take Anichibi. Like there, there's nothing. Even if he started. Like if Defoe went down, Barini stays out, they decide they can't play Watt more centrally, like you still wouldn't start Victor and Ichibi. Like No. Please no. <laughs> the strain in your voice was one that I haven't heard in such a long time. <laughs> just just to- total misery of the thought of maybe even potentially playing Victor and Ichibi. No, no, uh, no. Yeah, but this technically wasn't a deadline day move. This was the day after. Right. Uh, but, right, because uh, nobody else wanted him. That's <laughs> he right. He was sitting at home. <laughs> but uh no i, I mean we, we kind of talked about it i mean even for jermaine defoe insurance would you even pick up victor and each of john no I, I there's not there's not a chance you Perfect. know i watched i watched him struggle for three years at west Brom. um you know we watched him be a, a part-time player at everton for like four or five years before that um the one thing he does have going for him and i'm just going to point this out victor and be also not old victor and be is only 28 years old um he scores a goal about every 270 minutes sorry yeah, yeah no dude, like yeah he scores a goal every six months because he never gets on the pitch right. so i mean clearly he's he's not he doesn't he doesn't earn a spot but when he plays, you got a basically a one in three chance of getting a goal out of him. So, I mean, he might be one of those guys I add for the day if Defoe is out oh, and, and Sunderland's no. playing against a Bournemouth or against a Hull City. Uh, and then I immediately drop him again to, to make room for somebody more valuable on my roster. So, yeah, so that said, yeah, he's still the second best striker at Sunderland. <laughs> but like you've been saying, what does that actually mean? Uh, basically but... nothing. Exactly. So there's a couple of big name transfers that we actually haven't talked about uh, at all, and I just want to get your thoughts on them. So, uh, John, the, first, the I mean, the biggest one, the most drama actually was um, was Musa Sissoko going to Ever. Uh, sorry, not to Everton, going to Tottenham. Um, I'm assuming that this doesn't actually change anything in terms of anyone. You, you obviously don't think that because you didn't put any of them on your list. But uh, Musa Sissoko is just a depth move for 30 million pounds. I mean, even if he's not, I mean, Musa Sissoko wasn't a great fantasy option in Newcastle last year, um, given the fact that they're going to have rotation, uh, that they have Dembele and Dyer and Della Ali still has to come back and find minutes. Victor Wanyama has been great coming over from Southampton. He's been, you know, perfectly serviceable in that role for, for the first three matches. Um yeah, I, I I was actually tweeting that I don't understand why any Newcastle fan is slating uh Sissoko at all. I mean, they should be just tweeting him nothing but thanks and praise. He and his agent managed to create a, a transfer saga out of absolutely nothing. You know, 180 really good minutes at the Euros, and all of a sudden, Sissoko's rated 30 million pounds. Newcastle really shouldn't be happier that they, they've gotten rid of him. Yeah, and Andrew, I'm, we, we, we talked about this a little bit, but I believe it was off the podcast that Musa Sissoko is just not, he's not, he's, he, he, he's just not going to be valuable. I just don't, I don't see this this like love of Musa Sissoko. Like, I've never understood why people think he's so good. I actually tweeted that the other day, and the first response I got was work rate. And I'm like, what? Like, what? <laughs> this is what we're paying, or not we. This is what like a club has to pay 30 million pounds for is work rate for a guy who I can't imagine that he, he starts all the time. And even if they like pick and choose who he replaces, whether it's Eric Lamella or 
uh, Dembele when he comes back, Wanyama, or if he plays, I mean, there's talk that like Christian Eriksen, um, <clears throat> you know, that Pochettino hasn't been that happy with him and that they could pull him out. Not that Sissoko would pl- play in the middle, but like, the, uh, I, okay, here, can I, can I take over your podcast please, for a second? Please. All right, Gotti, Gotti, we're going to do a little bit, of, a little bit of like name game thing here. Ready? Uh, do you start Musa Sissoko? You tell me which of these players, just every single one. Yes or no. You start Musa Sissoko over him. Eric Lamella. No. Okay. Christian Eriksen. There's uh, Andrew was just getting to this and I'm not a fan. I've never been a fan of Christian Eriksen's in the past. And, um, that's the name where I, I, that's where I have pause, but I'm still going to say Christian Eriksen. I, and I, I think I know where you're going with this. You're going to okay, list De- all Delali. Yep. Yeah. You're, I, I know where you're going. I know you're going. <laughs> um, okay. Now add to that, add to that. Musa Dembele is injured. He has no minutes played. Okay. They still have. Oh, I'm sorry, that's right. He was suspended for that ridiculous. It's as was Della Ali. He uh, Ali had the three match suspension. Right. Uh, uh, Dembele had the four match suspension. Um, so he'll be he'll be back six, in six, I think. Uh, yeah, Dembele had six. I think they added. Right. Two Ali, because... Ali was suspended for the yeah last three uh, match. Oh, that's year. right. In the summer, that's yeah, entirely yeah. right. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Dembele, yeah, was, yeah. For for was it the eye punching? gouge? Yeah. It yeah, was. Eye, yeah. Eye yeah. It was against Chelsea. Yeah. It was. It was ugly. Yeah. So you have, and I'm just going to list them again real quick. All right. You have Lamella, who's played 269 minutes so far. You have Victor Wanyama, who's played 270. Christian Eriksen, who's played 247, and is by far the second best footballer on that entire squad, no matter what Gotti says. Eric Dyer's played 236 minutes. Della Ali's played 202. To that, they added George's Kevin Unduku, Musa Sissoko. They still have Musa Dembele to come back, and they still have Son uh, Hung Min because they did not get rid of him. That is nine? Is that nine midfielders they have for it's five spots? It's crowded. I'm not saying that I, I think Musa Sissoko is a big-time player, nor – I just – you know, he's a big name. He made a lot of news. I think we should have talked about it. That's really it. I actually think that the name that's been flying really under the radar has been a free agent that signed was Hal Robson-Kanu going to West Brom and – Somehow, Sato Barahino not leaving West Brom, uh, but Robson Kanu for way of he, this is someone you, you were talking about 180 good minutes for for France for Sissoko. Robson Kanu turned 90 good minutes for Wales into you know a, a new deal with West Brom, and I think it's someone who can easily challenge Rondon for time. I mean, Rondon hasn't been great, but Kanu offers a player who's played in a very defensive system and has shown that he can still score at least in one game against Belgium. <laughs> He's yeah, shown he, was... can... <laughs> he has shown <laughs> one time that he can that's score right. with Gareth Bale on the field. Okay, good. That's all right. <laughs> that's, 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 that's so, right. Let me just adjust my waiver. Next, priority. Hold on. James McLean, uh, James McLean, the new Gareth Bale. Yep. Uh, we're, I'm sorry, is it Darren, Darren Fletcher, the new Gareth Bale? No, it's probably Matt Phillips, the new Gareth Bale. There that's going to be providing. Yeah, there we go. Okay. So Matt Phillips, um, who uh, Gemma Harrison at Gemma Baggies tweeted, uh, I, it was brilliant. Um, I always used to think Matt Phillips was a good footballer. Apparently, it's just because I watched him play against us. <laughs> that's right. That's right. <laughs> and, and, and then an even more <laughs> transfer for West Brom was Alan Neom taking Craig Dawson's spot, who has been – great <laughs> it's yeah it's it's just craig, been, Dawson, uh, yeah. craig dawson on my fantasy squad um 
very disappointed with the Nyam move. Also disappointed because there apparently is no audience for Cookie Monster memes saying Nyam 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 except for me. <laughs> uh, so doubly disappointing on that one. I must have missed uh, that one. I would I would certainly uh, be a fan of that. I I, I must have missed <laughs> it because I would have I would have given you a heart. I would have given you a like on that one. But no, it, and also, but, well, you know, I. It's not, it, you got to make a certain level to get a retweet. You can mm. get a like out of me, no problem. But re- retweet level, I don't know. Maybe a quoted retweet and I come back with some equally terrible food pun on Alan Neon, but I haven't thought of it yet. So um, it's it's been such a we- – I mean for me, it's been such an interesting transfer window because there have been just as many questions raised – as opposed to uh, you know questions being answered, I think uh, there's really there's really not a lot of you know pure 100% you know this move is going to work, and more just what's you know what's going to happen. It's more like what's going to happen more rather than this is going to happen. And just you know as our closing thoughts, you know, it, is there one move that you think that you know this is clear cut? This is this is besides for, I think it's going to be Wilfred Boney for most of you, but you know it, 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 that this is going to this is you know the, the 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 stake in the ground has been planted and this is definitely going to be a positive move and this is definitely going to be something that all fantasy players should take in uh, should take into heart and put like a number one waiver claim in for for example. Um, I'm going to use one tangentially. I like the addition of Alvaro Arbeloa to West Ham because it moves Mikel Antonio back into the midfield pretty much full-time. And I know a lot of people thought that Antonio would be playing uh, as a defender. I think that West Ham have come out, Slavon Village has come out and said he's going to be using Antonio um, as a midfielder, almost exclusively moving forward. And I think that does amazing things for Antonio's value uh, in fantasy. I think that, honestly, I think that makes him, you know, top 30 at his position moving forward. And he's pretty much an every week starter for me at this point. Yeah. And uh, uh, Village also said that Arbeloa is actually more of just guidance for Sam Byram to play right Byram, yeah. the time. Yep. He's really there more for almost coaching, trying to get his coaching badges, which is something that Slotan's going to do next year, apparently as well. Yeah, no, which sounds—I mean, again, galaxy. that sounds excellent. No, no, no. Slotan's <laughs> going to the galaxy <laughs> to be the coach. That's right, coach no, player. It's happening. Player Nig- coach Nigel De Jong. Oh, I can't. Gone. It's happening. Can't wait to watch MLS's uh, Zlatan departure video in, in two years. <laughs> so. So, so Andrew, is there one stake in the ground move where you're you're going to plant your flag saying this is definitely going to be a positive and everyone should take notice? Uh, if it's not bony, I don't think there is another one actually. Uh, in terms of the deadline day moves, like I think um, the the flat, flag planting players have already you know moved way before the season started. It's the Pogba's, the Ibrahimoviches, like those are the guys that that the the flag is planted for. I don't, the all of the guys I felt like that moved uh, on deadline day basically filled holes instead of were the guys that you build around. And so while Boney feel, you know, fills a huge hole for Stoke, like I'm not sure there's anybody who has anywhere close to the upside that he does that, that moved on that day. Which is why yeah. I think if he's not owned already in, in Taga leagues, he has to be. Yeah, and it's... It, it, what, and again, I think the the one the one flag planting that I would say is there's going to be even more turmoil defensively at Chelsea. Um, so I would actually, turmoil. you know, <laughs> I, I I think they're going to be letting up more goals now because I don't think they're going to know which system they're going to play on a given week. But 
uh, it, it, for me, it's obviously Will, uh, you know, from the positive point of view, it's Wilford Boney. And it, it's it's a move that just makes all the sense in the world. And then just as a side point too, I think Boyan's value, it goes way down. But um, it, it's, it, again, this transfer window, it was fun to, to watch casually just from afar. But it just reaffirms what a lot of people think that everyone's just scrambling when you're doing deadline day deals. And I think that's what you're going to see. I think that's what you've seen here. And someone like me who's in last place is scrambling on the waiver wire just to try to make things change. Um, so on that note, yeah, on that note, I think we're going to scramble towards the end of this podcast here because, uh, this has been, this has been a lot of fun and John, thank you so much for coming at such an early time of the day. Um, we will be tweeting this out. He is at fantasy gaffer, G A F F E R on Twitter. Andrew of course is at rotowire. Andrew, I am at sports by Gotti G O T T I. Thank you so much for joining us. We will be back. Uh, next week previewing game week four after the international break which I'm so happy is almost over we'll talk to you then guys thank you so much thank you for listening to the rotowire fantasy soccer podcast for more great content visit rotowire.com slash soccer Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.